and I'm gonna be like, don't get closer to the mic when you do it. Hey guys, it's Editing Anna. I just wanted to pop in and give you a quick warning about this episode, just sort of a trigger warning. We are talking about some specific cults and we are going to get into some of the gory details. So if stuff like abuse and violence bother you, then please be careful listening to this episode. If it gets to be too much, just listen to another episode, one that's a little lighter, because this one does get pretty heavy. So as always, make sure you take care of yourself. We love that you're listening to us, but please just make sure that it is what you are supposed to be listening to for your own mental health. And with that, here's other Anna and Bonnie with our regular disclaimer. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's <laughs> mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And welcome. And we're back to our original... <laughs> Hello. I didn't know which one we were doing until mom started talking. It was a surprise to you and me. <laughs> I like how you jumped in, though. You didn't even pause or look, you know. I knew my line. You know <laughs> you your line. know your line. I got that. So we're kind of doing this later in the day than yeah, we normally do it. This is very weird. Yeah. I My whole feng shui or whatever it is, it gets unbalanced. That's not it. That's where you put your furniture or something. <laughs> that is, yep, our feng shui is out of balance. You are correct. We are uh, recording this a little later than we usually do because we were just part of a very cool uh, roundtable, live streamed roundtable with another podcast. Project Guardians Org is what they are on Twitch. I I don't know if that's what they are on YouTube, but they're the Satan 14 Project podcast and they invited us on their roundtable to talk about just kind of demystifying mental health and therapy and it was really cool. It was It was very cool, but it threw off our whole schedule. Mm-hmm. So thanks, boys. It was very neat to to meet new people <laughs> and, and visit with them, and they're yeah. very cool people. Yeah. So hi, guys. The more neat people, this is what I'm learning as I get older and older. Okay. I didn't have Hit to us get with this wisdom. This is old wisdom. Old wisdom. The more neat people that you encounter, I was going to say meet, but then I realized that neat and meet <laughs> rhyme, and it sounded really dorky. Yep. So the more really cool people that you encounter in your life, it's like it. It just makes your life more full and you realize there's all kinds of really wonderful people out there. and Just putting color into your life. Smart people and little colorful threads in the tapestry of your life. That's beautiful, Mom. (laughs) Thank you. It's truly beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of artsy-fartsy. Thought you would like it. I like it. A little artsy-fartsy. A little philosophy. You know how I love tapestries. I know. 
We are still doing our sticker giveaway, so if you have not reviewed us and rated us yet, then please do that and then send us an email. We actually got a new review and did not get an email for it. So someone says the title is Drunk Psychology. And <laughs> Uh-oh. It's Uh-oh. a five-star. It's, it's a five-star. Uh, okay. Woo. Uh, Woo. <laughs> and it says, there's a reason drunk history is so popular, and this mom-daughter team take that concept to the next level with psychology. <laughs> Funny, great chemistry and brains. I'm learning without even knowing it. Really fun, well-produced, and very informative podcast. A plus. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you're listening to that and you're like, that's mine, send us an email with your address and you will get a free sticker, I promise. Yes. So. The stickers are here. They're just waiting. Stickers are just sitting there. Speaking as a retired teacher, stickers are very important things. Don't lie to the people. They're not here. They haven't arrived yet. Oh, I didn't (laughs) know I was lying. (laughs) They're in the mail. God, no. That's probably not good. It'll be fine. They'll get here, maybe. And then we'll send them. And then we'll mail them back to you. <laughs> we'll mail them, we'll and then we'll put them right back in the mail. They're going to come to us. They're going to survive two mailings. Yes. But it'll be all right. And so that was a plug for our sticker giveaway. also want to plug our merch. Can you speak to our merch personally? I personally received merch this week that I had ordered, and I was very <laughs> oh, happy with it. I meant present. to bring it tonight to show uh, you. I'm yeah. so sorry. And I tried to take a selfie to send to you, Anna, because I'm not going to like put it out there for other people to look at. Cause, sure. But yeah, me and selfies, no, no, it doesn't work. You just like, I would get the right selfie <laughs> I uh, technique. Yeah, like at, at one point I was like, oh, that's a really good angle. And then I looked and realized like my hand was over the camera <laughs> hole, whatever that <laughs> Camera. No, you got it. Camera <laughs> hole. Camera I'm like, what is that in the picture? And then I realized it was my hand was in the picture. So what's on the camera hole? <laughs> you said to yourself. That's exactly what I said. But yes, I actually, I myself ordered a hoodie, and I was extremely impressed with the softness so of the soft. the texture of the softness. You know how sweatshirts should be fuzzy and kind of comfortable. Yeah, cozy. And yeah, that's exactly how it is. I got red because a couple episodes back when we talked about colors, <laughs> that's and color. I said, and that makes you do that with your body. You can't we're, see us doing it. We're both shimmying it, a little bit, but we're doing bit. red. <laughs> We're drinking red Kool-Aid. We're doing the red shimmy. <laughs> it is all red up in here. So red. Painting the podcast red. And the the logo, there's a, like a little logo on the front that just has our name. And then then Freud is on the back. Your artwork, Anna Marie, is on the back. And it's, it's really cool because the sweatshirt's very bright red and the logo is white. And so it really stands out. I give it two thumbs way up. Two thumbs way up. You said, dude, I thought you were going to go star root because I just read a review and I was like, two stars? No. No, I give it five stars, two thumbs. I give it five thumbs up. (laughs) So yeah, if you're into fuzzy sweatshirts, like nice, cozy, just, it's not real heavy. That's the other thing I liked. It's not like real heavy, so you'd be really hot wearing it, but yet it's fuzzy and kind of just cozy. Nice. I can't wait till it gets just a little bit cooler. So you can actually wear it? So I can wear it out where people can see me. I did wear it the other night when I got it. Oh, really? Because it was cool in my house. And okay, okay. You showed keep, it off for your cats. I, I keep the temperature said, hey, at like cats, 65. Hey, cats, to my podcast. <laughs> exactly. If they're not already listening to our podcast, something is wrong. They listen when I listen. That's true. All right, Mom. What episode is it? Do you remember the number? 31? <laughs> she made a house motion with her hands. <laughs> 
It's like that little kid song. She got the number right, but she made a this house motion with her arms. over me is love. Yeah, it's it's 30, episode 31. Episode 31 is in the house. <laughs> That's exactly what I bet. And it's actually like a part two. It is a surprise part two. We didn't mm-hmm. know we were doing a two-parter. Surprise, surprise part two. Even to us. We started last week talking about cults, and we realized that we had so much to talk about that we kind of needed to break it up. So we are continuing our discussion about cults and cult people and cult things. Right. So if you haven't listened to episode 30, you might want to listen to that first. However, I don't think you'd have to because we just, in 30, we talked about the basics of cults, the psychology like of what a cult is, right, and, and how people like why people are drawn end up in cults. Right. Basically, who's most vulnerable to be drawn right. into cults? That how kind cult of leaders stuff. work. We're going to reference a lot of that, but right. I, I think right. we'll end up kind of semi-explaining it again. So I don't think it's required reading to right. listen to our last episode, but we recommend it because why wouldn't you want to listen to us more? Because you should listen to every why single one. Why wouldn't you want to hear the dulcet <laughs> tones of our voice for another hour in your ear holes? Oh my. <laughs> Just doing this late at night might be a little scary, especially since we've already... We already pre-gamed a little bit yeah. too. <laughs> we are having our Kool-Aid again, oh, yes. except... We've changed the recipe a little bit because I I only bought one packet of the strawberry <laughs> Kool-Aid. I bought one strawberry and one cherry Kool-Aid. Uh-huh. So we are having basically the same thing as last week, which I am calling drinking the Kool-Aid. And mm-hmm. it is cherry Kool-Aid and whipped cream vodka. So not quite mm. as good as the strawberry, I'll say. But cherry isn't as good as strawberry. It's just that's life. It's proven fact, I yeah. guess. It's science. But it's good, though. It's good. Yeah, it's yeah. reminding me how fun Kool-Aid is. <laughs> and Anna makes it with not as much sugar as is required on the packet. So it's not quite as sugary as... I mean, the whipped cream vodka is probably sugary. Kind of fills it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It tastes a little sweet yeah. because of that. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about four different cults. Yes, so Which seems like a lot. It does. So we're going to talk fast now. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk fast. <laughs> Just like an auctioneer. <laughs> we have to stay on task. We need to cover all right, all right, this all right. information. All right, let's get into it. You start. I'm starting with the People's Temple, which is where our signature drink comes from. So... The People's Temple was a new religious movement founded in 1955 by Jim Jones, which even if you haven't heard of the People's Temple, like the name of the movement, you've probably heard of Jim Jones. It was founded in Indianapolis, and it kind of combined Christianity with communism and socialist ideology, and there was an emphasis on racial equality, which, yeah, Sounds great. Good it job. Does, it does. It just it's it's one of those things that we talked about last time where you kind of start with a good idea and that's kind of the foot in the door to get you to agree to the bad ideas later exactly. on. So, racial equality, very good. Cults, still bad. And he kind of, Jim Jones kind of weaseled his way into a Methodist church. He left that because he couldn't invite black people into the church, so he created his own church. Again, good reason. Bad dude. Mm-hmm. He had seen faith healing used in Baptist church, and he decided, hey, that's a great way to attract people, generate some sweet, sweet cash. And uh, 
It gets weird almost immediately. They would like use animal tissue and claim it was cancerous tissue removed from the body. Oh, gross. Yeah, very gross. Also, not how faith healing works. Like, I haven't watched a lot of faith healing, but in the ones that I've seen, they don't like have physical things <laughs> that they took out of bodies. I don't Ew. know where he got this idea. It's a bad idea. Jim. It's extreme. Jim, if you're listening to this <laughs> in cult hell, <laughs> it was a bad idea. That's very extreme, Anna Marie. Is it? <laughs> don't be so judgy. All right, cult heaven. <laughs> cult afterlife. Cult limbo. <laughs> So At least purgatory. So that stuff all happened. I am going to skip a few of the finer details here because we do have four cults to talk about. Uh, the church went through a lot of different phases. It went through a bunch of different names. And I've created a little game for you, Mom. Oh, no. Yeah. It's called, <laughs> it's called Decide If These Are Actually Names He Used For His Church. Oh, God. <laughs> oh I'm going to be bad at this. All right. People's Temple. Yes. Okay. People's Temple Full Gospel Church. Sure. Yeah. Children of Jones. Sure. Nope. Really? That, that was, would have been a good one. He's Jones. Not, They'd be children. I know. You made that shit up just like that. I you did. Just, you I could did. be a cult leader. We're I back to cult. that. Join our cult. Join our cult. You could be Anna's children. Okay. 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 Next one. Ready? Yeah. People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because that that's too long real. to make up. Yeah. Yeah. Jim and the boys. <laughs> Pretty sure not. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Although that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, Wings of Deliverance. It sounds real. It is real. Okay, I got you on one. Okay, yeah. Okay, I got you on one. I wish the Jim and the Boys was real, I wish Jim and the Boys. We're going to call him Jim and the Boys from now on. (laughs) Whether he likes it or not. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So basically, Jones really started to give fiery speeches and and push his us versus them rhetoric, which we talked about last time as being one of the main ways that cult leaders isolate people. Mm-hmm. Um, he began painting communism ideals as religious ideals, as really linking them just so you couldn't have one without the other. And like I said, isolating became a priority. He was demanding more of his members than other churches were. Like he was forcing members to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with the church rather than with their blood relatives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also talked about that last time, that cutting people off from their families, especially, is something that cult leaders use a lot because our families are the ones that can say, hey, I think you're in a cult. Mm-hmm. And we'd be more likely to listen to them. And yep. cult leaders know that. So they want to separate us from them. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not into cult. Join my cult. <laughs> <laughs> and as I was reading, like, as I was just doing the basic research for last episode, like, basic cult 101, mm-hmm. a lot of the research that I did said, and Jim Jones used this technique. So a lot of the techniques, like, they would call out Jim Jones specifically as using it. Paranoia. So he was really good at being bad. He was like, <laughs> that's, he was, yeah, that's a good way to say it. He, he was, was the best at being bad. <laughs> Paranoia was something he used a lot. So the mm. reason he and his followers ended up migrating away from Indiana was because he told his members that he had a vision of Indianapolis and Chicago being destroyed in a nuclear oh. attack. So he convinced the church that it needed to relocate. They were defined boundaries that enemies of the church could cross at their own peril. And that included people within the church. But it especially focused on the people outside of the church to cement that us versus them rhetoric he was using. He encouraged hero worship with himself as the ultimate socialist and the only person who could give people this amazing existence and security. 
these glasses have <laughs> more of a, a lot of <laughs> recruitment continued to rely on deception and that was it was promises of what the church would give its members they continued to lie about the faith healing uh, a few sources i found said that jones was a master at mind control techniques mm. he encouraged his members to spy on each other and report to him he was good at making members incriminate themselves to him he played his voice on a loudspeaker at all times, so members constantly heard his voice. Wow. I mean, it was just classic brainwashing, mm-hmm. and he was employing all of these techniques that we basically mentioned in our last episode that were like, yeah, this is how cult leaders do. Like, if you had a checklist, you'd be going, check, oh, check, yeah. check. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Cult 101. Cult 101 with Jim Jones. The worst professor ever. (laughs) Jim Jones and the boys. So skipping ahead, Jones and the boys rented land in Guyana, a small South American country in 1974. This was the People's Temple Agricultural Project. Boys Town was taken, I assume, so they called it Jonestown. Uh, It was seen as a socialist paradise by Jones, but it was also a sanctuary from the growing negative media attention he was getting in the States. By late 1978, the population of Jonestown grew to over 900 people. Wow. Yeah, I know. Good job. That's a lot of boys. (laughs) (laughs) On November 17, 1978, a congressman from San Francisco visited investigating claims of abuse. Many members, as soon as the congressman got there, were like, we want to go with you. Take us with you. We don't like it here. Oh, really? So they were like kind of being held there against their will. Yeah, they were expressing that they wanted to leave with him. So the next day, they accompanied the congressman to a local airstrip where he was going to take them back with him. They were intercepted by temple security guards who opened fire on the group, killing the congressman, three journalists, and one of the defectors. And that night in Jonestown, Jones ordered his congregation to drink cyanide-laced grape flavor aid, which we talked about a little last time. It was not Kool-Aid, although in the, like, press things that I've watched about cults, they all say drinking the Kool-Aid. Right, and that's kind of become the cultural, you know, phrase. Shorthand for buying into something, basically. Right, right. In all, 918 people died, and that included 276 children. Good Lord, that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. Uh, It said it was the single greatest loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the events of September 11, 2001. Mm. And, like, on a personal note, I have listened to the audio of this happening. The audio exists of, I don't know where it was being recorded from. I don't know what the reason was for it being recorded. But I've told you this before, Mom. Mm -hmm. I went through a phase where I, like, deliberately searched out the most damaging things I could find online. Mm. I think we all kind of go through that phase if we grew up with technology. (laughs) But I found a list of, like, ten disturbing audio clips. And this was one of them. And it was like an hour long. Oh, and I think God. I listened to the whole thing. Oh, gosh. It was, it's, it's just this, it's like watching a car crash in slow motion. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know what's happening. And especially the children really didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just hear the children like crying and being very confused and their parents trying to comfort them. It's, it's very upsetting. And it really makes it real. And I think, like, especially doing the research on this and reading these stories and telling these stories, we know cognitively what kind of loss it was, but it doesn't sink in how real it was. And that really made it sink in for me. Right, right. 
So the aftermath of this was just as bad. Uh, Surviving members expressed fear that they would be targeted by other surviving members and assassinated. Several straggling members committed suicide in the following months. I think part of that was just they were without their leader. Right. And that's what a cult is. A cult has a leader. And when you don't have that anymore, what do you do? It also solidified in the public consciousness that new religious movements are crazy and destructive. I mean, it's become synonymous with destructive cults. The Jonestown suicide, even if you aren't aware of cults, you probably have heard of it just because it was such a big deal. Absolutely. But by the end of 1978, the People's Temple had declared bankruptcy and it was promptly dissolved. So it's not like this is an ongoing movement. It was just more of an event that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of the story. Ooh. Yeah. So just to kind of clarify the purpose of them dying. Mm-hmm. From what I gathered, mm-hmm. it was to protect from people attacking them from the outside. Okay. It was like, this is the only way we can be safe. And so the adults, did the adults realize they were going to die when they drank the... Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Although I don't know how transparent he was being. Mm -hmm. It might have been that he was lying to them about the extent of it. That is very scary. Mm -hmm. Whew. Yeah, we're like starting off really fun. Start with start this with this is going to be a really fun yeah. episode. We should maybe we should have maybe started with a trigger warning because if there if this is upsetting for people to hear these things, I, I don't know. Throw something in. The They're not like you who listen to scary stuff on purpose. Yeah, probably in your adolescence when you were forming your. Oh yeah, it was years ago that I listened to this. Oh, my Lord. oh, if you go to the Wikipedia page, it's on there. Update the death tape is on there. Oh geez. Yeah, if you search Jonestown, you can listen to it. Oh, gosh. It's 44 minutes and Don't it's Don't listen to it. <laughs> That's always creepy, though. Like, even when you hear, like, 911 calls, uh-huh. when they when they do a news story and they play the 911 call. Yeah. And it's so creepy because you hear it and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, is this like... Because your brain kind of goes into that, this is make-believe or this is a movie. But you realize that's a real person making that 911 call. Yeah. And those were real people dying on that tape. And it's just so horrible. So it says on the tape, you can hear Jones tell the temple members that they are committing revolutionary suicide. It had apparently been planned before. So this was a situation they had anticipated at some point, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Right. I mean, that was one of the, yeah, that was one of the reasons they went to Guyana because they were trying to escape what they considered persecution mm-hmm. in America. So, I mean, they they knew it was, I would say maybe they saw it as an inevitability. I right. mean, they had enough stuff to do it on hand. But that makes you wonder about like those people who were saying when the congressman came and they were saying, please take us with you or whatever. They died too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't get out. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. Whew. So from heavy to heavy... What are you going to talk yeah, about now? Yeah, it does not get lighter on it this side get of the desk. So the one that I'm going to talk about first is um, the Manson family. And that would, too, be probably one of the biggest in our history, our media, our culture, mm-hmm. however you want to look at that. Because in 1969, and I was old enough to just kind of know there was bad stuff going on because I was a pretty little kid at that yeah. time. But as I got older, you know, because it went on and on in the in the media for a few years. And I do remember being really scared about yeah. this idea. 
In August of 1969, the reason this came to the world's attention, basically, is that Manson commanded a small group of his followers to brutally murder five people near Hollywood. The victims were the actress, that, that, and that's what we always hear about, that mm-hmm. she was Tate. I'm having Sharon? Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. And that she was eight months pregnant. Um, and there were other people there as well that were murdered. Uh, just a terrible, bloody, awful thing. So I'm going to I'm gonna kind of just go back to Manson for a minute and talk about Charles Manson as a person. He had a terrible life. He just had one thing on top of another, which kind of leads you to, to that idea of why he would be this kind of person. He was born to a 16-year-old person who was not at all ready to have children and had really a really hard childhood. And by the time he was 12, he started to basically uh, get in trouble with the law. Mm. And so when he was 12, he started being incarcerated. That's an interesting thing that it brings up about nature versus nurture. Exactly. And that's a good point, Anna, because the nature part of it is that he was obviously a brilliant man. Yeah. And he was very talented. I feel like you almost have to be to start a cult. Yeah, you have to be intensely. Yeah, yeah. you have to know, you have to have all your ducks in a row. But that goes with narcissists and antisocial personalities too, which we kind of touched on last time. Yeah. That those kind of people are often brilliant. It overlaps with high intelligence Right, exactly. So there was mental illness throughout his family, actually. If you look at his family tree, he had a lot of that going on. But he basically spent... He started, you know, when he was just 12 years old and spent about the next 20 years in and out of jail. And there was even a point where uh, they talk about how Charles Manson kind of said, I don't want to go out into the real world because he felt like he was comfortable there. And he Hmm. had kind of made peace with the fact that he was going to be incarcerated. Right. But of course, you know, they sent him out into the world. While he was in prison, he learned how to play guitar, uh, which was a big deal for him because he felt like he was supposed to be a musician and he also and this this is ties directly to how he worked in building his cult he read the self-help book how to win friends and influence people oh sure that was his that was his bible so to speak and he not only read it but he started practicing it in prison and he would practice the speeches and he would was he um, popular in prison i wonder i think that he was at least popular enough that he because one of the stories I read was that the person who taught him how to play guitar was a very was a person who was he he didn't just he didn't just talk to everybody you know you had to kind of earn your way yeah and and he did that so he did have some of that that in even in prison he also studied a great deal the mind control methods of Scientology there's ding 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 Exactly. I'm not going to be we talk talking about, about Scientology in this episode. <laughs> but here they are. Sued. I don't want to get sued. But Manson said it. <laughs> well, you'll like this. Okay. He did. We talked last episode about auditing being part of the Scientology thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I read said that he did like 150 hours of auditing. Shit, dude. But then he decided. That's only like 10 sessions from what I know about auditing. It, it's like huge, yeah. right? But so so he had a long way to go yet, even though sure. that sounds like a lot. But he, and there's a direct quote somewhere. I can't find it right now, but it was a direct quote like, it's too crazy. He said that. <laughs> Manson said, Scientology's too folks. crazy. Manson Don't sue me for saying Scientology's that. Scientology's too crazy. <laughs> 
But the amazing thing about Manson is when he got out of prison in 1967, it was amazing how he started using those techniques to start to control people like right out of the box. Just, I mean, he just hit the I've road. I've been practicing this for years. Yeah. Let's just go. <laughs> exactly. And he immediately had a whole bunch of these young women just fawning over him. Many of them were just barely over 18 and a few were not even 18. Sure. And he used crude Freudian psychology as well as... And here's, Same. <laughs> and here's an important thing, as well as hallucinogenic drugs. Uh-huh, sure. And the skills that he learned through his Carnegie classes in Scientology. All right, great. <laughs> that he was building that this... That is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> he was building this theology that, that he could build his cult on and it worked very quickly. And it was strange, when you read his history, when you read his life story, he was very, he just got in with really important people, like bam, bam, bam. It was like everything fell into place for him to have these connections, but then they would go wrong. Huh. You know, like he would get these good connections, and then they would go wrong. One of the first people that was very intrigued by Charles Manson was Deidre Lansbury, who's actually the daughter of Angela Lansbury. Really? I was going to ask. Yeah. And she was a famous star. Huh. She had starred in a film called The Manchurian Candidate. Do you oh, know that, yeah. that movie? I, I've heard of it. And it's kind of about how there's this manipulation by this person who controls these people to do even murder. Which is interesting because then, yeah. So she's like, ah, oh, yes, right. I have experience with right. this. So she she was very interested and kind of hung around, but not for very long. And then she was like, okay, it's getting kind of dark in here. <laughs> and she hit the road, <laughs> which is kind of what happened. The people would, would see that he was interesting and he was engaging, but then they would go, whoa, something's really dark in here. And he they went would... too full crazy too quick. Exactly. Like we've talked, we talked in our last episode about how one of the things that cult leaders do is they like, love bombing is something we talked about last time and that like just starting very slow and like i talked about jim jones how he had his you know like hey racism is bad maybe and people are like yeah like you're right and they start with more gentle ideas and kind of once someone has fully bought in you can spring the crazy on them right but it seems like Manson didn't really do that. He didn't go easy at all. It doesn't seem like, you know. But I think that the drugs were significant. Well, yeah. Because, you know, some of these people that we've talked about, they're they're not using drugs mm-hmm. to use their brainwashing on right, the people. Right, But Manson was was employing many hallucinogenic. So so that I think is part of the you have to remember when this was happening too. In the you know in the 60s and there was a lot of drugs going on. Right. Not that there aren't now, but there was apparently a lot of drugs in the 60s. It was different so, drugs. Yeah, just yeah. Lots of hallucinogens. So we we see these names like come bopping in. One of the things he would do is he would send his girls out to basically prostitute them and to earn money or to to get favors or whatever and one some of the girls that he sent out at one point in time uh ran into the oh i'm gonna forget his name the beach boy uh, wilson i can't remember his first name wilson beach boy he was a beach boy he's driving along owen Owen wilson (laughs) wow um he's just driving along like minding his (laughs) own business i'm just gonna wow the rest (laughs) (laughs) there are so many things i could tell you um (laughs) I'm just so I'm gonna kind of skip over some of this stuff and sipsters, you're gonna be saying there's not a lot of flow going on here. <laughs> it's because there's too much, and I could talk for like hours yeah. about this. So I would, if this is like interesting to you in a weird dark way, there's lots out there. 
tweet us and we'll do a whole episode on Manson. Because he could get a whole a whole episode. So he had this dalliance with, is that a word? With Dennis Wilson, who was one of the it Beach is. Boys. Just because oh, some of his girls. Oh, like a person from the Beach Boys. Yeah. I thought you meant he was just a very popular man who was at beaches a lot. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> There's a generational gap happening I'm sorry, here. I know the Beach Boys are a thing. <laughs> I just didn't connect it with the phrase. And and so at this time, Charlie wanted to be a musician. So he had written these songs. And actually, this is freaky. You're well, looking at me like you don't you believe this. Are you in the Manson family? Because you called him Charlie just then, and that's freaking me out a little. <laughs> sorry. I've read Mom, so much you're about already it. a leader of the cult. You can't join another cult. <laughs> I think there's like a one and done rule here. Right. Okay. I have to focus. I have to focus. I'm sorry. What did he do for the Beach Boys? He wrote a song. One of his songs. What? The Beach Boys took. What? Yeah. Like, um, you would ask me that. His, (laughs) the name of his, the, what he had named it was Cease to Exist, which definitely sounds like Uh a Charles uh Manson song, doesn't it? Sure. But the Beach Boys redid it. And, and sang, never learn not to love. I don't know that song, but. <laughs> it's Kokomo. It's Kokomo. Charles they all Manson sound alike anyway. Kokomo. <laughs> all the Beach Boys songs sound the exactly Nina, like. Bahama. Oh, cease to exist. Yeah, that was it. That was uh, it. But but you they didn't give here. they didn't give Manson any credit, which really pissed Charlie this, off. <laughs> I mean, rightfully so. Yeah, they took his song. That's intellectual property. <laughs> this this smacks of like Hitler wanting to go to art school. You know, maybe we should just have the arts be more open to people, and there wouldn't be so many bad things that happen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Much later, when Charles Manson was in prison for the murders that we're going to just touch on briefly, Wilson actually had this weird, freaky death. He he was drunk and he drowned. It was like an accidental drowning because he was very, very intoxicated. Are we sure? Well, that's what they say. It was in 1983, but Manson spoke about it, of course, and said it was karma because he had he stolen. stole my song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bam, That's, bam. <laughs> Listen, if you steal a song, you drown while you're drunk. That is what happens. <laughs> we should not go swimming tonight, Anna. <laughs> so, um, we stealing one song. We're fine. <laughs> Basically, they lived in Wilson's house for a long time and like trashed the joint and cost Wilson what? like $100,000 in food and drugs and whatever. Oh my God. And there were these wild orgies and Wilson would have bring these people in and Manson would pimp out his girls and it was crazy crazy stuff but eventually they got they moved on from the house I think they kind of got kicked out to be honest with you eventually they ended up at this place called the spawn ranch and the way they paid for being there in their commune they set up a commune like a good old-fashioned hippie commune was what they came to good old-fashioned commune The owner of this ranch was George Spawn, who was 80 years old. The way they paid George for living on the ranch is through sexual favors from the girls. Great. With the 80-year-old ranch guy. Great. Super. I love it. Thanks, George. Thanks. Thanks for that. This was when things intensified and and Charlie started more and more of the brainwashing, which is kind of this kind of stuff Anna talked about with Jim Jones, that he would get them all totally stoned out and then he would fill them with this rhetoric, you know, about how he was basically, 
he never really would say he was God, but he basically implied it and right. they kind of bought into that. When you're a good enough cult leader, you don't need to say it outright. <laughs> right. They just People know. People just They know. know you're God. They know you're God. So probably one of my creepiest favorite parts of this is that he used the Beatles White album which my husband would have loved that idea I guess I don't know but using, he would, using the White he album would, for a cult Bob right. would have loved he that would, he Great. would have built a cult around that I don't he would have built a cult around but he literally it. would play the album like over and over again like you were talking about the Jones like thing like he projected you know? his yeah. voice yeah <laughs> but he would play and his whole idea was that there was going to be this big race war uh-huh. and when there was a big race war and he, the way that he would this is his verbiage, that the blacks will win the race war, but then they will not be able to sustain society. So then they would call on him to become the leader of them. Oh, yes. The the black people need a a savior white man. A little Caucasian dude. Yes. To jump up. And this war, this racial war would be, he called Helter Skelter. Oh, that's what that is. So when he ordered his followers, like when we talked about why did they, why so, did the Jones guys commit this suicide? This is going to sound like a very stupid question. Beatles had a Helter Skelter song, right? Right. That's where that came from? Right. He said that the song was about this racial war that was coming. Oh, okay. Which was not at all Wait, with the Beatles. We can't prove it's not. He even, <laughs> he even went so far as to say that the four Beatles were the four horsemen of Ooh, Revelation. I love it. Of the apocalypse. So, I love yeah. it. So he tied it all together, made sure. it all seem like it kind of made a little bit of sense for people who were using hallucinogens every He's day. He's like, four, four, <laughs> link, oh my gosh. He later in prison confessed so that he didn't really care much for the Beatles, that he much preferred Bing Crosby and Perry Como <laughs> and Frankie Lane. <laughs> but they just didn't have any songs that oh. had as cool a names. Oh. Bing Crosby saying White Christmas. I couldn't call my race wear that because then it seems like I'm picking sides. <laughs> I can't. That's exactly right. So the very bleh, gruesome part of this story is that he did eventually order some of his followers to go and not only to murder these people, but to do it in a very violent way. And did one- he have a previous relationship with Sharon Tate? No, but they were in a house that belonged to someone who did him wrong in the oh. film film industry. Okay. So they were in this uh Roman Plansky, I want to say. Yeah. They were in his right. home. Uh-huh. And so it was kind of like again a karma thing. I don't think he even really knew who was in the house when he sent him in there. Mm. You know, he knew that was the house the wrong that place, was wrong yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. It's a horrible story. But he instructed them specifically to leave symbols that would imply that th- that it was a racial thing in blood and, right right and they would write on the walls things about the pigs and the piggies and they even at one point in another situation wrote helter skelter in blood on the walls they not only killed those people during that first night but then the next night charlie wasn't charlie wasn't really pleased with the way it all had gone down i'm not quite sure why but he wanted them to improve so then the next night he sent them into another home and had them murder another couple of people who were they were business people the man was a this business was just person. murder practice yeah kind of very creepy very horrible creepy and you might you know when i hear something like this like the thing when you were talking about the jones people and they killed themselves yeah because they felt that that was what their 
leader was calling them to do. Well, right. in, in this situation. And honestly, at the time, they thought it was for a good reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like when you go into battle and you die honorably in battle. That's kind of what they thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were dying for what they felt was a good cause. But this is an entirely different situation where these people ha- had no claim to this. They did not want to be involved. They weren't. They didn't choose this. Right, the people that were murdered. Absolutely. Yeah. The people who were doing the murdering, which is, it kind of goes back to some of the stuff we talked about last time, that when these people get into this position in a cult, when they've lost all of their individuality, mm-hmm. And all they can think about is what pleases the leader and what yeah. will sustain the leader in their power. And so at this point, they believed they had to do whatever they could do to help Manson be put in this position where he would eventually be the leader. Because right. they believed he was the Messiah, so to right. speak. So he became such a central core to their lives through this family. You know, like you've already said, everybody else was pushed away and the other members of the cult were their family members and they had to do whatever they could to help Manson succeed. So they didn't, in those moments when they were, of course, again, we go back to there were drugs involved. Whenever there are drugs involved, you got to yeah, add I mean, that it's layer. It's an altered state. But-, but, but, exactly. It's more than just the drugs. It's that they have abandoned their own values right. and their own sense of right and wrong to the point where... Well, it's you're so isolated and you get that echo chamber that you can't really tell. I mean, it's reality gets altered for you right you don't you don't know what's right and wrong because you have it all bouncing back at you and we talked about this last time that it was it's not only that they look to the leader and they want the leader to succeed but often in cults they are they buy into that because they've been fed that information that they are part of an elite group you know, it's that us versus them kind yeah. of thing, but one step Which above is that. a huge, no, that's a huge part of the us versus them, is that the us believes We're, they are superior to exactly. the them. So believing that you are part of the elite group gives you like a cohesion within the us, but right. it also gives you a will to fight against the them. Right. So there's all kinds of, you know, you can find all kinds of interviews with Manson's followers and all kinds of, there's been hundreds of books and documentaries were they and prosecuted or was just Manson No, they were. And even though Manson never actually had hands on with any of the murders, he was found guilty. The orchestrator, right, yeah. exactly. But those people actually they would make comments like, you know, that they were honored to be able to do his bidding even after? basically. Wow. Well, at least for quite a while, you know, until they kind of detoxify <laughs> detoxed, yeah. you know, from the from the cult. When you, like, deprogram But, them. yeah. Manson didn't die until 2017. Really? And even, you know, all during his incarceration, there were these kind of cult-like people who would stand mm-hmm. up for him and still kind of cheer him on. And so even after he had fallen, basically, mm-hmm. there were still followers that were loyal to him and probably still are, actually. I, I mean, probably it's like out that there. horrible thing that, like, People who have done mass shootings get like people almost, I would say fetishizing them. Yeah. Like the people who did the Columbine shooting, there's a, there's a culture on like Tumblr and stuff where people fetishize, where they like have crushes on these men that did horrible things. It's, it's very surreal and I'm not sure where it comes from. I would be interested to learn more about it. That might be a creepy um, episode. 
about people who like write to murderers in jail and we'll keep it for October. Oh. We're coming oh, up on Spooktober. Yeah, spooky stuff. We got to get some spooky, spooky episodes. Stuff. Tweet us with spooky episodes. So I will stop there with Charles Manson, but okay. um, again, he fits. <laughs> we could the, do a whole. He fits the profile perfectly about being this person who is very charismatic and quirky as hell. I mean, when you see, uh, I showed Anna a video clip right before we yeah. started recording. Just bizarre, quirky. But I think he was playing it up. I think you're right. I think right. He was- it's it's hard to know how much of it's mental illness and how much of it is that he. He loved the limelight, and he showed. Also, if he was doing the drugs as well, there may be lingering right. effects from that. Oh yeah, he looks like when you see those interviews with him, his his affect is. And wow. yet, his affect is crazy. But I can also like looking at him, I can see where there is a handsome, charming man there underneath. Like I can see where he, if he played that that aspect, he could make it work. And he was married twice in his life, and I believe he had three children. That we know of. Yikes. So. All right. Okay. So that's the Manson family. That's the name of the cult. We the Manson family. going so long. This is going to be a long episode because we're going to do both of them because we did the research and we're not going to squander that. So I'm going to talk about the Branch Davidians and you might not know that name. You might know Waco. If you've heard of Waco, that's the Branch Davidians. The Branch Davidian story starts in 1929 with a man named Victor Huteth, who proposed an alternative view to some ideals held by the Seventh-day Adventists, which is a Christian kind of side group. I would say they're not super popular, but the church itself didn't like what he had to say about them. So Huteth was like, fine, I'm going to make my own church. And he did. He just went off and did his own church. (laughs) He did it by himself. Uh, He established a headquarters to the west of Waco, Texas, and called his group the Davidians, after the belief in the restoration of the Davidic kingdom of Israel. And, Mom, I want to extend a special invitation to you right now that this has a lot to do with biblical terminology. And also, like, I, when we were researching this episode, I know I asked you, like, do you remember the Waco? It was in, like, 1993. I was two. Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure you remember it quite oh, vividly. Yeah, yes. So please jump in with personal impressions. Weirdness. Yeah, yeah. If you remember <laughs> how it was to to see that going on, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were pretty far away from it. We're in the Midwest, but but I mean, it was pretty big news. But it was on TV yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, while it was going on, it was on on TV. Yeah. So even after Hutev died, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he's dead. He he's fine. He died in 1995. And he was kind of a bad guy, so. He's all right. He just didn't agree with the Seventh-day Adventists. But a group loyal to him continued on as Davidians. They continued that name. Uh, His wife kind of took over after his death, and she predicted an imminent apocalypse. This did not happen. This was in 1955. Because we're still going. Because we're still here. (laughs) So some people were peeved that the world didn't end because whenever the world doesn't end, people get all annoyed. (laughs) A guy named Benjamin Roden formed an even more splinter group from this splinter group, and he called it the Branch Davidians. It was in reference to a branch in the Bible who is referred to as a servant who will build a church. Hmm. So they keep going more obscure with their Bible references, but Branch Davidians is kind of a Frankenstein Bible reference to, to a reformation of the church. Old Ben died as well, because people die, and uh, his wife Lois Roden took over in 1978. The Branch Davidians were kind of torn on whether to be loyal 
to Lois or to the son of Lois and Ben, who is named George. Uh, so they kind of had split loyalties already. And then Vernon Howell arrived in 1981. Vernon Howell was reportedly well-received by the commune, the good old-fashioned commune. <laughs> and then it got weird, because it does. Because <laughs> good old-fashioned communes <laughs> get weird. <laughs> they get weird. He was in his late 20s, and he had an affair with Lois, the widow of the previous leader. Whoops. She was in her 60s. Go, girl! <laughs> no! Not the takeaway! Oh, okay. Not the takeaway! <laughs> Sorry. No. Sorry. Go, girl. <laughs> it was just the old lady in me just kicked in. <laughs> like, yeah, get that hot young cultist. Get it, girl. You're a cult cougar. Well, she was. <laughs> cult cougar is very good. Uh <laughs> <Ma was> a cult cougar. <laughs> no, she was referred to as the prophetess of the Branch Davidians at that point. Oh. So. Okay. Gold Cougar is a better title. <laughs> That's what she I'm saying. She should have used that. <laughs> Duh, Lois. And uh, Howell wanted to have a kid with her because he thought this child would be the chosen one. But she was 60, so that probably but wasn't she happening. Was 60. He didn't think that one through very well. <laughs> so they didn't have a chosen one before Lois died, at which point her son beforehand, who was not the chosen one apparently, George, sorry George, uh, he took over. Less than a year later, the majority of the community had allied with Howell. George Roden didn't like this. Mm. So he challenged Howell to raise the dead. Ouch. And then it gets weirder. It gets weirder. (laughs) This maybe should be for Halloween. Okay. George exhumed a body (gasps) to prove his point. No. He did. He exhumed a body... To show, I don't know what he was, I don't know the point that he was trying to prove. I think it was like, I raised the dead, but the person was still dead. It was a corpse. (laughs) I don't know what he was trying to do. You didn't tell me exactly what raise the dead is in in this Listen, this is non-specific. I raised them, they're raised. (laughs) They are above ground. They are raised. That's what it means. But Howell saw this as an opportunity to file charges against Rodin. Because as we know, you don't dig up if cult leaders like anything, it's litigation. <laughs> so he decided to uh, file charge against Rodin for this. But they had no physical evidence, which strikes me as weird because there's a body, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So Howell and his followers raided the place where George was was called Mount Carmel Center. And they raided that. And the theory, the prevailing theory, is that they mainly raided it to take back the land that Howell and his followers had left. They ostensibly raided it to get evidence that George Roden had exhumed a body. But they didn't bring, like, a camera or anything. They just brought a lot of guns. So they didn't super do a good job at, you know, getting evidence. But there was all that drama. And it ended with Howell being the role of spiritual leader to the Branch Davidians. He, he kind of got the majority of support for the entire group. And to assert this, he changed his name to something that might sound more familiar to people, David Koresh. Ah. Same guy. So so we're finally there. Okay. Yes. Whew. This has been the that same. That was a journey. The same guy the whole time. I know, but there's just so many wacky ah. details. I really wanted to wow. just shove them all in there. <laughs> so... So David Koresh suggests ties to the biblical King David and Cyrus the Great because Koresh is Hebrew for Cyrus. So he was just like, I'm all the kings. I'm uh-huh. all of them. All uh-huh. of them. 
So that was his kind of claim to fame. One of the main techniques Koresh used was the assertion that he was a messiah. And we talked about this last time that like the theory that when people are in a cult, they think that division with the cult leader and offense against the cult leader is offense to God. Because they equate the cult leader with God. And he was doing that pretty overtly. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was talking about, you know, fathering a chosen one. He was talking about being a messiah and and an anointed leader. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was really invoking that. And people bought into it. He used this divine claim to transfer people's devotion to God into devotion to him. Additionally, according to some people who had been in the group... Koresh was really good at breaking people's individuality down, mm-hmm. especially through the isolation that we talked about before. Uh, he would apparently make cult members engage in Bible studies that were as long as 18 hours. And he would use this Jeez. time. I know. And that's coming from a really religious person. Jeez, uh, <laughs> 18 hours. Can you Come on, imagine? Guys. <laughs> he would use this time to berate them. Uh, he would deprive them of food while he himself was eating food in front of them. Uh, One account that I read said he was, like, eating ice cream. So, like, this rich, decadent food in front of these people who had not eaten for 20 hours. (sighs) He was a butt. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Mom, that's true. He was a butt. He was. Uh, (laughs) He was. (laughs) By 1989, he was using his power as spiritual leader to take several spiritual wives as young as 12. To create a new lineage of world leaders, quote-unquote. And rightfully, this led to allegations of child abuse. Because that's what it is. Uh These allegations, along with illegal weapons violation allegations, led to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, heretofore referred to as ATF, because that's a very long name. Bureau, you didn't think of that, did you? About the people who would be doing a podcast about you later? (laughs) Uh, To attempt to execute a search warrant. So on February 28, 1993, ATF attempted to raid the ranch, leading to a huge gun battle. These guys were prepared for this. Yeah. Four government agents and six Branch Davidians were killed. Sixteen agents were wounded. And because of this, the ATF were unable to breach the compound. And the FBI took over shortly after because it had basically gone so badly. The siege that resulted from that lasted for 51 days. Which is an absurd amount of time that, for a siege to last. Isn't that hard to even wrap your I brain around? I can't even conceive of that. Yeah. Yeah. That so for 51 days, people were like sitting around this place. So we're, okay, because you have more awareness than I did because I was a toddler. I was uh-huh. so pooping in my diapy. <laughs> like, was it like constant news? Were yeah. they, was yeah. it? For like That's what two I remember. Months? Yeah. That it was like, every time somebody would move, you know, like there'd be a new thing. Oh, they'd, yeah. they'd have like an update, you Breaking know. news. Yeah. Someone so it was nose. always, Yeah. But there were there were other things in history like that where people were hostages or something that went on for days. But that's yeah. I don't Two remember months, it being though? that long. Days. Maybe in the beginning it wasn't they really just didn't covered. Cover it as much. Maybe I, I don't know. But I do remember that you'd just be watching TV and they'd go like you said, something breaking happened. news. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, somebody did this. And yeah. Yeah. And then when it when it really amped up toward the end, it was like full right. coverage. Right. They were, I kind of get the impression that things happened really quickly, like very early on, and then nothing really happened until like the end. Right. There was a lot of sitting around, I'm sure. Yeah. Which, 
ah, uh, yeah, it's just, it's very strange. To think I think about. they were just really trying not to lose life. Yeah. You know, they were trying to, yeah. the well, officials or so whatever. So early on, the FBI negotiated the release of 19 children uh, who confirmed that there was physical and sexual abuse within the cult even before this raid had been thought of. Over the course of the siege, the FBI engaged in some shady stuff themselves. Uh, they pumped loud music over the speakers into the compound to deprive people of sleep. They eventually cut off electricity and water access to the compound, and it made the Davidians survive on rainwater and like stockpiled army rations. So, I mean, both sides are bad, I think. Yeah. It was just not a good situation. And I saw a criticism of this, that it was basically like, okay, the FBI already thought Koresh was unstable, which rightfully so. He probably was. Right. And by extension, so was the cult unstable. So let's do something that will force them to react in an unpredictable and volatile way. I mean, all these things that they were doing, they were like trying to incite them to attack first, is the impression I got from everything I read. The FBI wanted the Davidians to attack first because they had orders not to fire on them unless they fired first. It was it was a PR nightmare. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And that's, that's what I remember just the talk being, you know, among people. Yeah. Like, oh my God, you know, how is like, this Like, how gonna... are they going to spin this one? Right, right. On April 19th, 1993, the FBI moved in for a final siege. This included large weaponry and armored combat vehicles to combat the heavily armed Branch Davidians. It included tear gas to flush out the Branch Davidians. And uh, when the Branch Davidians opened fire on them, the FBI just increased the tear gas. Like, they cranked it up to 11. Mm -hmm. So around noon, uh, three fires broke out simultaneously within the compound. The government maintains that the fires were deliberately started by the Branch Davidians, but some survivors of the group maintain that they were either accidents or they were set by the FBI during the siege. Now, the fact that they all happened simultaneously leads me to believe someone started it them. It was a plan, yeah. Right. So I don't know if it was. I, I would say perhaps it was the Branch Davidians because like we've talked about with the other ones, it was like dying honorably right uh dying in a way that is glorified and that you will get to where you want to go right so i i i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they were the ones that said it i don't think that that's like a cover story too much of the 85 branch davidians in the compound when the siege began 76 people died including david koresh mm. Afterwards, once the fires burnt out and the compound was leveled, uh, 12 of the Branch Davidians faced criminal prosecution and eight were convicted on firearms charges, five were convicted for involuntary manslaughter, and four were acquitted of all counts. But now they're all out of prison. They got out of prison in like 2007. So interestingly, the Branch Davidians continued to exist uh, following a guy, wow. yeah, who was a follower of Ben and Lois Roden way back in the day. Oh. It is called the Branch Our Lord in Righteousness, and it is a legally recognized denomination with 12 members. 12 when I, members. When I wrote that note, I was going to make a joke about how, like, how could you become a religion with 12 members? And then I thought about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> 12 is a good number. 12 is a good number. Apostles. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's where a good we number. are. So they also believe in end times. Their leader claims he was anointed by God to mm -hmm. be the leader of the group. 
So that's fun. That's... That sounds very cult leader. <laughs> it does. I wanted to be like, maybe they're maybe they've got their act together. Maybe they're just going to be a regular old denomination. No, no, nope, seems culty. No, yeah, seems culty. <laughs> so once again, so that is the Branch Davidians. Waco, that Texas. always reminds me when you say that of like the those movies about the treasure with Nicolas Cage. National Treasure? Yeah. Why? I don't know. There's something in there like that that's Branch, Branch Davidians? Davidians. I don't know. I'll have to back It up. seems very like I had to make up a name for a faction for my fantasy yeah, realm. Very, fa- yeah, yeah, fancy. Okay, so the last cult we're going to talk about pretty quick here at the end of our podcast is Heaven's we're Gate. A bit long. Which is uh, relatively recently. 1997 was when this mass suicide happened. Mm -hmm. In 1997, there was this cool thing happening where Comet Hale-Bopp went flying by and we could all see it and it was this big deal. And actually, this cult had been going on for quite a while before that even happened. But they just, they became known to people because of Hale-Bopp. Right. So way back in the early 70s, this man, Marshall Applewhite, he was the son of a Presbyterian minister, and he had served in the military. Have you seen pictures of this guy? Oh, creepy. He looks bonkers. He looks like an alien. Yeah. Which is what he claimed to be, basically. He was searching for meaning right. in his weird, weird appearance. <laughs> he, they, I think, I think, well, they are kind of known as a UFO cult. That's kind of one of the terms that they use because they really, that's their shtick. They, yeah, they believe. That was their whole thing. Right. They And he had kind of a partner in this in founding the Heaven's Gate cult. He met a lady named Bonnie uh-oh. Nettles? <laughs> it was her. It was Bonnie mom. Nettles was a 44-year-old married nurse. That's the way they describe her. I don't know why they describe her that way, but um, <laughs> he met her in 1972. The only two things that matter. <laughs> and they, your relationship they, status and your profession. And they palled up and they started to build. Hey, did they? Did they? <laughs> did they? <laughs> it doesn't say. Is that why they Maybe that's why they stressed married? that she was married. I don't know. But they, 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 they ended up... They probably didn't her her because <laughs> eventually he gets castrated, which I will get to in just well, a moment. Well, then they stopped her herring. Well, maybe they did. Yeah, maybe they did before. I don't know. Maybe she was such a bad her her that he. <laughs> oh God, that's so horrible. <laughs> that is horrible, Anna Marie. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, listen. I need to explore all <laughs> options. It's part of being. <laughs> a curious person. I cannot even. I cannot even. Okay. So they did um, a lot of studying to kind of build their theology together. And actually, they read a lot and studied a lot about the life of St. Francis of Assisi. Which, which kind of love. Which kind of freaks me out a little because I like St. Francis. You are a Bonnie who likes St. Francis of <laughs> Assisi. It must be a Bonnie oh, no. thing. Oh, no. But they also read, they kept with them their King James Version of the Bible at all times, and they studied several passages from the New Testament that focused on the idea of Jesus being the I didn't Christ. I know they were a Christian. Well, mm, that's, a, oh. that's stretching it quite a bit. Because what they believed, basically, <laughs> what they basically believed was that the, the it's, it's that ancient... Ancient aliens? Yes. Ancient <laughs> aliens thing. <laughs> So so the so no that's exactly what it's called the ancient aliens that came and instead of God that God is actually an alien sure okay that's what they buy an alien God made 
right. alien god made the pyramids. Right, all that stuff. They yeah. believed all that. And and taking that a step further, they believed that, and this is kind of hard to explain, but it actually kind of makes sense, which is scary, that <laughs> the same alien spirit that was in the body that we call Jesus was the same alien spirit that was then eventually in Marshall Applewhite. That's what they were going with. So like reincarnation? So yeah, he was basically, well, kind of what they would call bodies. They would call a human body a vehicle. That's the word they used. Uh, Okay. Again, this is very Scientology. Right. Where like you are a Thetan and you have a body. There you go. So he, this spirit that was the same spirit that was in the Jesus of Nazareth body was then in the Marshall Applewhite. This crazy-looking dude. But also, it gets worse because Bonnie was claiming that she was actually the alien that was like God the Father. So she was like one up. So she was was like, like, you're Jesus, but I'm God. That's cute. Um, (laughs) Let me tell you about my alien soul. But they would call, they called it walk-ins. Which which is kind of if it's a way to look at it like kind of like possessing a human body oh, like a sure. spirit possessing a human body yeah that the alien spirit was possessing their body so they that's what they were like full on claiming they weren't dancing around it they were saying this is it I am the Jesus spirit and she is the God the Father spirit and they were going on this and they started out with this idea of cultivating a group of people who they they said when the aliens started the human race, they had this plan for certain human beings to rise above and to reach this point of enlightenment that they could then leave, they called the earth the garden, where they were growing these elevated souls that would then move on to the next level, which would be to leave their human bodies, their vehicles, Mm -hmm. and move on to the next level. Okay. Now, there were several theories that went like they changed their story as things went on sure. and i'm not going to go through all that but basically at first they were like this ufo is going to come and pick us all up and take our bodies too our, they're going to take us but yeah. kind of like a rapture thing our alien in the Christian uber theology. is going to get here right. finally and we'll know and he taught we'll know because there will be this great sign right that it's going to happen see this was way before the comet that he was telling his followers, there's going to be this big sign, and then that will mean the UFOs coming to get us. Well, then it kind of evolved a little bit. First of all, because Bonnie died. In 1985, she had cancer and died. And then God the Father was back, and prayers started being answered again. <laughs> and then it, like, blew his whole theory. Because it was oh, like, well, no. they, couldn't, they couldn't keep saying that you have to take off this vehicle at a certain time because she she died. Oh, I just really spit but then, But then... <laughs> I'm just spit all over Sorry, the equipment. Spit all over the equipment. But wouldn't that be shedding your vehicle at a certain time? Yeah, but it wasn't planned because she was supposed it wasn't, to stick it out. It wasn't the right right. Time. She, but that's why they had to change Where did the her rules. Husband go. Was he? Was he the Holy Spirit? Yeah, was we never. What's? Did he complete we never, the Trinity? We was never it, hear was that. Was it a threesome of her? <laughs> Okay, I got to get through this quick, and you're not I'm making it easy to be quick. Me. I'm shushing you. Okay. So <laughs> they did have this group of people that that believed then, like we talked about the drugs with Manson. They had no drugs. No, that, it was no just drugs. a belief. They had no sex. They had nothing fun going <laughs> they had on. Nothing fun. <laughs> 
they just basically believed they were called to be elevated. And so they embraced that with their... I mean, like, that's enlightenment culture. That's, right, I mean, like, right. There's a lot of this that's, like, scary what people still think right. in some ways. How many people were there? Well, in uh, around 40-ish. Okay. At, okay. at, at one time, at it's any bad. given that's time. bad. It's still bad. The suicide that happened... What happened was this: the comet started to be in the news, and everybody was okay all about the comet. And they're like, "Aha!" And yes, and he grabbed a hold of it. I can't remember his. Why do I always forget his first name? Applewhite's David? first name was David? it David? No, that was Koresh. Was it David? <laughs> when in doubt, it's a David. Was David? <laughs> David Manson. David what? Manson. <laughs> Marshall. That's why I can't remember. It's a weird name. Marshall. Marshall. No, it's David now. <laughs> David. <laughs> David Applewhite. David Applewhite. Marshall said, uh-oh, ding, ding, ding. And he started to tell his followers. Just call him Applewhite. <laughs> Applewhite said, Stop doing I am cults. swimming upstream trying to finish this episode. Applewhite, Applewhite said, said, the comet's coming, and in the behind the comet, like hidden in the comet, <laughs> is the UFO that's going to pick us up. And so when it comes zooming by, we got to be ready. He basically told them the way we're going to be ready is we have to leave these vehicles and jump out and hop on the UFO. So they believed when they committed suicide, they didn't call it suicide the same way. They were just transcending. Right, exactly. And so they mixed up a little. Picked up by their alien Uber (laughs) and leaving. So they mixed up a little phenobarbital into applesauce and pudding and they apple washed it down sauce for apple white you'll like this because they washed it down with vodka <laughs> and then they had if this you're gonna go real creepy we thing can't have sex we can't they, have drugs but we can have like, vodka their whole thing was that they left all earthly things behind so they also wore nikes <laughs> That's the freaky part, in my opinion. <laughs> is that the freaky part? Well, that's... The alien Uber isn't the freaky part? If they gave up all their worldly stuff. So they gave up, like, yeah. eating decadent food. They gave up alcohol. They gave up gave drugs. Up sex. They gave up sex. So, to the point that, like, eight or nine members... Why are we calling it sex when we could be calling her? <laughs> <laughs> I try to use the proper words, Annemarie. Did I not teach you when you were a child to use the proper words? <laughs> That's better than my wee <laughs> Those are totally different meanings. Okay. Sometimes they overlap. <laughs> my, if you're having woo, then you have problems. <laughs> See a therapist. Okay. <laughs> we have gone off the rails. Yeah, we have. Uh, so like, but did they, was there an explanation for the Nike? Was there like no. a okay? But they bought like uniforms. Yeah, they had they, like white jumpsuits and like Nikes. Oh, they were black, but yes, oh, they black were like, jumpsuits. They were like I remember outfits. seeing the picture. Mm-hmm. The picture that I remember seeing is just them like lying in bunk beds, right. and like you can see their Nikes and right. like their jumpsuits. They were it's cover, surreal, right? Because they they did it like in shifts, so like fifteen people died, oh, and then someone like covered them up with this purple thing until the end. Including Applewhite, he was one of the last ones to die. And the last two people that like took care of the last few people didn't get covered up because nobody was there to cover up. Sorry, how fast does phenobarbital work? Like, can you not cover yourself up? I don't know, but this death sequence took like more than one day. They oh, there's even grosser. They put after they had their applesauce and drank some vodka. Applesauce they pudding. They put a plastic bag over their head. Oh, to speed 
the death, which why, I'm thinking, why not what? just do that? Yeah. So then the person who then kind of made them more presentable took the bag off sure. and put a purple. Because you have to look good for the yeah, people on right. Earth who don't And left matter. the Nike show. I, so I don't know. That was their exiting. And they had little patches they made that said Heaven's Gate. Kind of like merch. They had merch. They had merch. <laughs> that was actually. Don't join their cult. Join our cult. We have better merch. <laughs> the patch was actually designed after a Star Trek like logo kind of thing. Oh Something, my god! Yeah, yeah, they were real into the Star Trek thing. Which one creepy, creepy footnote? Okay. One of the victims. The I'm only gonna creepy call them, thing about this, yeah, is that one of the cult members was the brother of the lady who played in the original Star Trek. Ohura, Ohura. I won't Uhura? say her name right. The really Michelle cool Nichols? chick. Yeah. yeah. Her brother was one of the cult members that oh died. Oh my god. Isn't that creepy? That is weird. And weird. That's probably he was like, hey, my sister was in this. Yeah. Let's, I believe let's in this use Star the Trek merch. thing. Yeah, exactly. So phenobarbital is a barbiturate that slows the activity of your brain and nervous system. Basically puts you to sleep, doesn't it? Maybe they just use that so like when they suffocated it wouldn't be so they bad. They wouldn't fight back, yeah. But gosh, wouldn't you think well my There's gotta be a better way. Yeah. So they they firmly believed when they did that, though, that they were just leaving their vehicle and hopping on the spaceship. Like you said, they didn't consider it suicide. No, not at all. And even to the point where when they talked about it, they would say staying in your vehicle would be suicide because you would not be elevated to the next level. Interesting. There's a, a video somewhere online that I watched that was the guy who actually kind of went in and found the bodies was a cult member who had left. But he still, when he was making the video with this reporter guy, he was like, he said word for word, like, I absolutely believe that Apple White, that he was the second coming of Christ. He said, I absolutely know. It wasn't like I believe. He was like, I know he was. Sure. And this was like after all the suicides and everybody was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. He's still sitting there going, yeah, he was the second coming of Christ. Well, because at that point, it's not verifiable. You don't know they didn't go on the alien Uber. That's true. Well, and, you know, looking at this and trying to be objective as I can, or maybe it's not objective, what I believe as a Catholic Christian is that when we die, that our spirit leaves our body and goes to be with God. So in a way, it's that's... not really that far of exactly. a Exactly. So this body, and I mean, I even have talked this to people bo- like that. Yeah, this body yeah, yeah. is like just a vehicle right. that my soul is in. Sure. So it's not that big. It's kind of what we talked about in the very beginning, that a lot of the cult stuff is not... It it's, plays on stuff we've already heard. Right. It plays on stuff we may already believe. Exactly. It you just t- makes it more palatable. You take the skin of the truth and stuff it with lies. Yeah. So... Yeah. And stuff it was crazy. It's a lot. It is a lot. This is going to be a long episode. I'm sorry. Hey, if it's you're too still late. Here, we're at the end of the episode. And these people are like, what here, the hell? I've been listening thank forever. You. Thank you for being here. You should thank get a gold for, star. For yeah, listening. you should. You are a gold chalice, Freudian Sips cult member now. <laughs> but we won't do thank anything you bad so to you. much. We do. Okay. I think, in conclusion, I would say the biggest thing takeaway that i have gotten from this is that isolation is the key that is used 
Exactly. So don't let yourself get isolated and don't isolate yourself. I know there are people out there that do isolate themselves because, you know, under the guise of self-care or, you know, because they're just an introvert and you feel like, yeah. Or because you're in a relationship that's isolating you. Like, don't let yourself We talked about that last episode that it doesn't have to be a cult. It can be a relationship. It can be a hobby. It can be a relationship. It can be anything that isolates you. Don't. We are social creatures and you need that healthy social interaction. Right. So don't let yourself get isolated. Right. As another ending note, I would, if you are in, if you, if you (laughs) have lasted this far and you're like, cults are awesome. I want to learn more about cults. (laughs) We have a suggestion from friend of the show, Michelle, who endorses Wild Wild Country on Netflix. And I have been watching it. I'm on the last episode now. It's wild, but it also gives you like this really intense look into how cults get get formed Mm -hmm. i mean it it has a lot of like interviews with people who were in the cult um it's about the rajneesh param cult in oregon and it's it talks about like people who did really terrible things for the cult and how they got to that point and how they like really thought it was okay at that point Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to hear that from that perspective of the people who lived it and the people who, you know, may still believe that, or the people who believed it so much then that they did these crazy things. So if you're interested in that, that's a really cool documentary to watch. And also, like, the Survive Repeat, people have really cool episodes on cult survivors. Um, there's just, there's a lot of cult content if you're interested in this. There's just, like we said, so much to talk about. Got a final note? It's okay to be interested in it, but remember the encouraging note that Anna said about not letting yourself get too caught up in <laughs> be stuff. Be interested in it, but don't join a cult. <laughs> yeah, but it's don't cult. do it. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. So we want to thank you for joining us for this long episode. Long, long episode. Yeah. Yes. But we we appreciate your feedback and we appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Sipsters. Yes. If you have feedback, like if you want to, like I said, we are getting to October and I really like Halloween. So I would like to do like a whole month of like spooky episodes. If you have uh, an idea for something you want to hear, please like tweet us or send us a message on a social media and let us know because first of all, we love to hear your feedback, but also like we would love to start doing more episodes about things that you guys want to hear. Yep, let um, us know. I think it like we have chosen so many things that we think are interesting, but we really want to start doing what you guys think is interesting. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of us on social media, you can find us on basically anything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on all of those things, as well as our site, freudiansipspod.com. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us, freudiansipspod at gmail.com. Remember that if you leave us a review and you send us like a screenshot of the review... Stickers! You can get a sticker. Send us a screenshot of the review, your address. We will send you a sticker on us. You're welcome. Woohoo! And we're on Patreon if you want to support the show that way. But like I said, like, merch is better. Buy some merch. It's cooler. You get to wear it. And we think it's cool. Please remember to leave us a nice rating. Get your sticker for it. Or just if you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart, do that too. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. (laughs) 